to the dark side. I'm your host, Brianna. Dyson's here. Hello. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 19. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) Happy you can make it. Me too. <laughs> this this episode is an episode. It is. It is a whole episode. We are going to start this episode off with a update about Elnaz Hashtamiri's case. So, uh, if like you should know by now, if you've listened to this podcast, that Elnaz was abducted from Wasaga Beach. January 12th, 2022, we covered um, her case in episode 11. At least at that point, it was everything we knew up until that point. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say like a quick reminder to people that one of the suspects from the parking garage attack is still MIA. Right. His name's Harshdeep Binner. He's 23 years old. He's from Brampton. There is a Canada-wide warrant for his arrest in relation to that attack. Mm Mm-hmm. So everyone just keep your eyes peeled for that because obviously we hope that he gets arrested. Yeah. And then the update is about Elnaz's ex-boyfriend. We briefly talked about him in episode 11. Mm-hmm. His name's Muhammad Lilo. He was um, uh, charged with criminal harassment against Elnaz um, just nine days after her disappearance. Okay. So... And he has not been offering investigators any help, any information in finding Elnaz. He's just... A stone wall. Yeah, he's just really not helpful. So the update um, is about him. He, they, We found out that he had hired a private investigator to keep tabs on Elnaz's location in the weeks leading up to her abduction. There was three sources that had direct knowledge of the situation, and they told CBC News that he hired Brampton-based, uh, a Brampton-based company called Investigations Plus, and he hired that company to locate and surveil Elnaz. So one of the sources said PIs, the private investigators with the firm, conducted surveillance on January 10th and January 11th outside of the Wasaga Beach home where Elnaz was staying with her relatives. Mm -hmm. But one of the PIs was called off on the morning of January 12th, the same day that those three men went to the house and abducted her under the guise of like, oh, we have a warrant for your arrest. So CBC News didn't identify the sources because technically they're not supposed to be talking about an open police investigation. Right. But um, the owner of Investigations Plus confirmed to CBC News in a telephone interview that Mohammed Lilo did hire his firm. And this was at the beginning of December 2021. Lilo was asking the owner to find Elnaz, watch her movements, because... <sighs> I know. And he was like, okay, here's her address. He gave the Richmond Hill condo where she was attacked by... Riaset and Harshdeep on December 20th, and he gave the address of the Wasaga Beach home, which is on Trailwood Place, and that's where she was abducted from. 
Okay. So when Lilo first contacted this Investigations Plus, like, investigations firm, whatever, in December, the owner said that Lilo claimed to be Elnaz's ex-boyfriend, but he gave a, a, like, different name. He said his name was Nazar. That's sketchy. So the owner learned Lilo's real name after he did his own research. He was, like, cross-referencing the name he gave, his birthday, using court documents, uh, cross-referencing them with financial documents found in a Quebec lien search because Lilo's from Montreal. Mm -hmm. Lilo initially claimed that Elnaz had stolen $100,000 from him and he wanted her surveilled because he wanted to be able to serve her court papers. Right. And then he changed the story, though, later saying that his brother had been shot and he was suggesting that Elnaz may have been involved in that shooting. And she was really dangerous. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the firm's, so the firm's job was to like keep an eye on her. And supposedly, um, Lilo was like, yeah, I just need you to watch her. Because if she comes towards Montreal, you, ha you have to tell me. Because I have to call the police because I don't want her near me. That's the... You know, the reason he was giving for why she needed to be watched. Man, it's almost like you should have done any <laughs> kind of footwork, basic footwork to confirm this guy is who he says he is before you start providing information about people he's asking to monitor. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know when he did his, like, background check, but... Obviously, obviously, it's never good if your story is changing. Yeah. So the sources that... Uh, the sources told CBC News... That Lilo had been to Elnaz's Richmond Hill residence many times. He also had, he was familiar with the Wasago Beach home. He'd stayed there at least one night when they were dating. Mm -hmm. So he was familiar with these places. And the owner of the firm said he conducted surveillance at both the condo and the home in Wasaga Beach for a couple, quote unquote, a couple of days before she was kidnapped. He said he had a private investigator watching that house on the day of the abduction, but the man left his shift by 6 p.m., which is two and a half hours before the abduction, because the dude is diabetic and he had to get some food and take insulin. So okay, he wasn't on duty at that time. Right. So that's the most recent update. That's fucked. That she was being surveilled yep. for over a month. And that I think that would likely be found to explain why she had the GPS. Oh, the uh, tracking, devices? tracking devices. Absolutely. He's. Yeah. I think that the police, like the OPP, know a lot more, and they're just kind of holding it back because they obviously have to build their case and whatever. So, mm -hmm. as stuff comes out, we'll probably learn just how sketchy all of this is. Because in and of itself, this whole case is just fucking terrifying. Yeah, and it's. I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, once this stuff goes to trial, once we inevitably find out what's gone on, that at least like that Canada's probably going to make some sort of legislation saying, you know, th these PIs, we, we're going to need to make some parameters around this bullshit because it's the only reason this shit happened. Some better parameters. Anything to prevent this. Well, I don't think the P... Yeah. I don't think the PIs put the tracking on her car. I do. I don't. I think that Lilo was using them to find her so that he had separate people... Put it on? Yeah. Yeah. He was using them to initially find her, track her, update him, so then it looked legit. It was like a front almost. Like, well, yeah, I did. 
have a PI following her, but they were under the guise that I had court papers or that she was dangerous or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then they can give him updates that seem innocent enough. Yeah. Meanwhile, he has whatever henchmen in the background, like, okay. Yeah. She for sure is at that house. Mm-hmm. Put on some trackers. Yeah. I don't know. I've just heard so many stories about like di- like PIs putting trackers onto cars and how common it is that like I wouldn't be surprised to find out like that's their tracker. That's just my thought. Yeah. Then that place will get shut down immediately because there is already really strict parameters about monitoring people. Yeah. Can't obviously track them you can surveil them as long as you're surveilling them from public property and like all of this stuff so mm-hmm. it'll it's be also, interesting to watch unfold it's also uh extra sketchy because like it's a pi firm from brampton i know and then you have a harsh deep who is still missing and he was from brampton so yeah let's just hope that um it's gonna show up in thunder bay oh i'll <laughs> probably show up in like saskatchewan <laughs> Let's just hope that Riaset is talking and knows something. Or you can watch your dog run away for four days. <laughs> no, it's three days. <laughs> three days. You're right. Sorry. Overshot it a little bit. <laughs> uh, so the family has a GoFundMe, um, which we're, I'm going to put the link uh, to the GoFundMe on our website so that if people want to check it out, donate what you can to mm-hmm. help. Well, they're using the fund to like keep exposure up. Um, they they contact so many people and try and like build bonds with media from all over the place, mm-hmm. even like into the states and stuff. So just to keep their own investigation going, because you know the OPP and whatever aren't very they are very tight lipped. So the family is in the dark with most things. So yeah, they are kind of using their own resources. So that's just the update for El Nas. All right, thanks. Welcome. If you listened to episode 18, you'll know that we started something new. Yeah, we did. At the end of the last episode of the month. We are randomly picking the topics for the following month's episodes. So I did make a list. It's on Instagram. You can go check it out. See the five episodes that are planned for May because May has five Mondays. So y'all spoiled. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be May. <laughs> I saw a, a meme and it was like, I hate Justin Timberlake. So I made a new one. And it's Brittany. That is just so typically May. (laughs) (laughs) I like that better. Me too. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, the list is up there on Instagram. So make sure that you guys send us your case suggestions because then we can add them to the list that we are randomly picking from. And then it would be so cool because we can shout you out. And it'll be so exciting to hear your name on the pod. Yeah, and it's like that little Price is Right wheel. Oh, yeah. I wish. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, we should get a sound effect for that. I, I could probably pull one. Oh, for sure. Instead of the drum roll. We can change it up. Yeah. Next month it'll be like... <laughs> Not a- even I was amused with the drum roll after like the fourth one. <laughs> I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Four? Damn it. Why is there five Mondays? Yeah, sorry. You can send your suggestions to our email, darkadaptationpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them through social media, Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast, Twitter, Dark Adapt Pod. You know the drill. We are everywhere. We are everywhere. 
Okay, so are you ready for this episode? Oh, yeah. This week, we are talking about the grotesque Donald Ewan Cameron. Gross. And MKUltra Subproject 68. Hmm. Sounds very, very top secret. <laughs> Donald Ewan Cameron, just so you know who we're going to be talking about. Yeah. He was involved in unethical human experiments on patients without their knowledge or consent. Most of this work happened through the MKUltra program for the purpose of developing mind control, torture techniques, psychoactive poisons, and behavior modification systems. Today, yeah. Donald's name is synonymous with unethical medical practices, including psychological torture techniques for the CIA. Oh my god. And these cruel techniques he helped develop continue to be used around the world today. Oh no. So that was just a, a brief uh, overview of the type of person we'll be talking about. But, you know, we can't just dive right in, get right to his freaky ways and his MKUltra project happenings. No. we got to know who we're talking about. Yeah, that's true. we got to so, know the origin story. So here we go. Let's get to know Donald. I'm going to just call him Donald. His name's Donald Ewan Cameron. I'm just going to call him Cameron. It's easier to say. Uh, Donald Ewan with an E? E-W-E-N, like Ewan McGregor. So, Deck for short. I'm not going to do that. Deckles. <laughs> Dr. Deckles. He's a big dickle. This dickle. He was born on December 24th, 1901, in Bridge of Allen, Stirlingshire, Scotland. Allen. <laughs> Allen. <laughs> he was a really smart guy. He enrolled at the University of Glasgow, and by 1924, he had received a Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery, specifically uh, psychological medicine. Okay. He continued his education at the University of London, where he received his doctorate in podiatric medicine. Okay. Fuck it. I'm not a doctor. Podiatric medicine is a branch of medicine devoted to the study, diagnosis, and medical and surgical treatment of disorders of the foot, ankle, and lower extremity. So he got an MD with distinction by 1936. So really, okay. really great with feet. Oh, no. Donald began his training in psychiatry at the Glasgow Royal Mental Hospital in 1925. And by 1926, he was serving as an assistant medical officer. Between 26 and 28, he continued his medical training through a research scholarship under a dude named Alfred Meyer. Apparently, he's like a really well-known Swiss psychiatrist. So he was doing this research scholarship under him in the United States at the Phipps Clinic at John Hospital. Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Awesome. Fucking okay. Hell, all these like, here's this person, that person. Here's what they were studying. Here's where they went. I'm like, much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. It's easier to say than this. It really is. John Hopkins Hospital. <laughs> in the, in the U S. at the Phipps Clinic at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> In 1928, Cameron left Baltimore for Burgolzi. Bur 
your goal, Lee. Oh my god, you, this is like designed to screw you up. Uh, psychiatric hospital, just you know what? We'll deal with it. Everyone deal with it. Yeah. A psych it's, it's a psychiatric hospital of the University of Zurich in Switzerland. In 1929, he met A.T. Mathers. He's Manitoba's principal psychiatrist. And this dude convinced Cameron to move to Brandon, Manitoba. Mm -hmm. So Cameron was the physician in charge of the reception unit of the Provincial Mental Hospital in Brandon for seven years. While working in Brandon, he organized the structure of mental health services in the western half of the province and established 10 clinics. Okay. These clinics were functional and successful and his models were used as a blueprint for communities all over the country, especially in Montreal. Oh. So, like, so far, he seems like a pretty stand-up dude and someone who was revolutionary and inventive in the psychiatric field. He was opening all these clinics. He was changing the game. But just wait until I talk more about Montreal. Uh-oh. In the meantime, we're still getting to know this Tabernacle. fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're in 1936. He moves to Massachusetts. Also, this guy can't stay in one fucking place, can he? No. He's he like, bounced around all over the place. God damn it, sir. 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 Sir, are you fine or not? Are you fine? <laughs> I'm going to start saying. <laughs> Brianna, are you fine? <laughs> um, you have my permission. All right, thank you. I'm really excited about it. So this fucking guy moves to Massachusetts to work at the research division at Worcester State Hospital, where he'd later become the director. So not only is he moving all over the place, going to all these different hospitals and stuff, but like he's high ranking in all of them. He's like mm -hmm. going to do whatever, work in the research division. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm the director now. Yeah. Like, damn. So in 1936, uh, he also published his first book. Uh, and it's what's called the Objective and Experimental Psychiatry. That does not sound good. Yeah. Well, this book, he introduced his belief that psychiatry should study human behavior in a rigorous scientific fashion that's rooted in biology. When he oh, wrote... Okay, I can start seeing where, <laughs> where he's going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to hear this all of this because you could just see this steady like slow and steady incline into what the fuck territory yep we're getting there and it's then all of a sudden it's just he's in it objective in the experimental is a red flag <laughs> <laughs> it is remove your emotions in, ex in these experiments please when we're dealing with your fucking brain and mind yep so in this book, Objective and Experimental Psychiatry, he introduced his belief that psychiatry should be studied rigorously, whatever. Mm -hmm. So when he wrote, he approached everything with a strict scientific method and believed that's how everyone should approach their research and practices. Okay. <laughs> so as you can glean from the title of the book, it also talked about experimental methods. Yeah. So you picked up on that, did you? Yeah, I picked up on that real <laughs> fast. Yeah. In 1938, he moved to Albany, New York. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's at it again. I don't like how he's bouncing around, because part of me thinks that maybe it wasn't at his own volition. Like, they were telling him to get the fuck out. They're shuffling him around like a priest. Yeah, <laughs> if only. 
Yeah. No, he he was on it was on his own volition for sure. All right. Okay, so he's in New York, and while he's here, he received his diplomate in psychiatry. So now he was a certified psychiatrist. From 1939 to 43, he was a professor of neurology and psychiatry at Albany Medical College and at the Russell Sage School of Nursing. During these years, he began to expand on his thoughts about the inter interrelationships of mind and body, mm-hmm. developing a reputation as a psychiatrist who could bridge the gap between uh, neurologists, who are people who study the brain, and psychiatrists who study the mind. Gotcha. So, and he's uh, certified in both of these things. So he was like high ranking to people. They're so he, like, well, you have an intimate knowledge about the brain while you have an intimate knowledge about the mind. Right. So he, he was like a big deal to people. Yeah. Also, we're in the fucking thir- late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> yeah. So people are like, whoa, we got a new Freud on our hands. Yeah, this is a big deal back then. Yeah. Yeah. And people really did like look up to him and respect him because he was like he's a smart fucking guy. Yeah. Just a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, and his big claim to fame was when he said that everybody wants to sleep with feet. Oh. <laughs> and Tarantino's just like, what? Hmm? Hmm? Did you say no? I'm coming out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Retirement. Cameron believed that mental disturbances are diseases and somatic in nature, which means that all psychological illnesses are hardwired into a person. So they're a direct result of someone's biological structure rather than the illness like being brought on by social environments, like how you're raised or the people you're with and whatever. Well, of course. Post-traumatic stress is just the weakness of the mind. Yeah. Mm. Really? Oh, God. Just wait. <laughs> Remember you said that. Oh, no. <laughs> Because this is what he believed, he became interested with how he could effectively manipulate the brain to control and understand the processes of memory. This would hopefully help him understand problems associated with the memory, specifically ages, aging. He was obsessed with the aging brain because he firmly believed that an aging brain was just like permanently stuck in psychosis. What? Yeah. So he was like, we can study and manipulate the brain and control and understand what memory is. So then you can get an aging brain out of psychosis. We don't have to worry about later illnesses like dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever. That's a, that's a really out there theory. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> grandma's in psychosis again and she's like i'm just trying to bake cookies. Yeah. It's like an aging brain was suffering from psychosis. That's what happens. Does, are you are you over 80 and struggling to pee it's psychosis <laughs> struggling to pee yeah that happens when you're older <laughs> probably just have a stone oh no in the late 1940s and early 1950s he continued his work on memory and its relationship to aging because you know obsessed with it mm-hmm. it sounds like he was in psychosis jesus christ yeah <laughs> so he published a book are you ready it's called Remembering. Really good, right? That's it? Remembering. <laughs> Just remembering. So he wrote about psychiatric links to human biology, again, because he's so um, revolutionary with this neuro- neurology-psychology fusion. Bridge. Yeah. And um, 
in the papers published during this time about in this really cool thing called remembering he just essentially went on and on and on just to get the point across that he was linking rna to mem to memory rna is a molecule that's similar to dna right so he's like this this and memory is causing equals psychosis equals psychosis <laughs> There's there's just an atrium of, of doctors in white coats just going. Yeah. Like for somebody who's so busy moving around all over the place, being the fucking sudden director of these places that he's working, like he has a lot of time on his hands too. Yeah, he must do <laughs> zero <strange>. management. <laughs> yeah. He just locks himself in a room and goes into psychosis. <laughs> it's not funny. In 1943... Cameron was invited by a neurosurgeon named Dr. Wilfred Penfield to McGill University in Montreal. Okay. With a few grants, the Allen Memorial Institute for Psychiatry was founded as part of McGill University. All right. With a few grants, it's like, I read a few different articles and it's like really sketchy ways that this, like not sketchy, but like hush hush kind of ways that this was opened. Like people just met in like, the fucking Ritz Carlton hotel and just like exchanged money and agreed and whatever to open this place. Oh no. So, so it's like, I read a few different like um, reports about where the money came from, but basically I got a bunch of grants. Just from backroom deals, essentially. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm picturing. Maybe it was from a bunch of people who were suffering from psychosis. You know, they had an old mind well, and they were just giving out money. If they're 50 and up. They're doomed. Yep. They have an aging brain and psychosis. So at the at this institute that opened, the Allen Memorial Institute, Cameron became the first director uh, and the first chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at McGill. He recruited psychoanalysts, social psychiatrists, and biologists from all over the world to develop the psychiatry program at McGill. The Allen Memorial Institute was run on a uh, quote-unquote open-door basis so that patients could leave if they wanted to. And for at this time in the 40s, this was like a groundbreaking idea because pretty much every single hospital in Canada was like a closed door. They like interned policy. you there, yeah. Yeah, it's like there wasn't like... They call it a day hospital when he introduced this idea because it was the first of its kind in all of North America. It mm -hmm. allowed the patients to go to the institute and get whatever treatment they needed, but then leave and go home. Yeah. Whereas for the most part, if you were receiving any sort of treatment, assessments, whatever, like you were booked in and you stayed until they let you leave. Yeah. So it was like... It was a really cool idea. It, it would cut down costs. You avoided all of these unnecessary hospitalizations. Like, he was doing the damn thing. Yep. He had good ideas. What was going on inside of that noggin of his? <laughs> that's a little, that's where we get a little more suspect. <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, speaking of suspect, we're going to start to get even a, even a little bit more weird right now, okay? All right. <laughs> Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your friends? Do you like having a laugh? Do you like podcasts? Well, you should check out our podcast, Spoils of Horror. We're not a review show. We're a horror movie hangout where we talk about movies that are lost, forgotten, popular, and bizarre, 
all in the scary realm. You can listen to our podcast while you're doing just about anything. You could be washing your dishes. You could be washing your cat. You could be washing your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) All forms of genitals accepted. (laughs) We are a fully inclusive genitalia show. Yes. We are the number one ideal podcast for washing your genitals. Our genital Yelp reviews are unsurpassed. Five and a half stars. (laughs) You don't want to know where that half came from. uh... (laughs) Now that you know that, check us out on all major platforms. You can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Come and hang out with us. We'd love to see you. And your genitals. (laughs) Bye. Cameron, he was, um, you know, just casually obsessed with Germans. Um. He, he wrote a paper called The Social Reorganization of Germany. This, he sounds like a, uh, your everyday 14-year-old white kid now. <laughs> <laughs> this is German. So in, this, in his paper, he argued that German culture and its citizens would have to be transformed and reorganized. Basically... In a long-winded way, the paper stated that German culture and its people craved status. They worshipped strict order and regimentation. They desired authoritarian leadership. And they had an ingrained fear of other countries. He said they'd have offspring bound to become a threat to world peace in 30 years. So, to prevent this, the West would have to take measures to reorganize German society. That's absurd. It's a that's, lot. That's, but the, the dumb thing is, it's not like the first authoritarian government to come around. So, like, I know. you could look at other examples and be like, oh, that's why that's not the case. I think it's because he's living through it. Yeah. So it just seemed so much more so real he to had him. PTSD. And he is like studying psychiatry and psychiatry and shit. So he's like, I know the best. I am the one to answer this. It's the Germans' fault. Also, I would like to know how he n- knew exactly that they would threaten world peace in 30 years. Like, why 30? Huh? What's the, what's the math on that? Oh, I thought it would be like, that's about the time it would take for the <clears throat> younger generation to grow up and get into politics. Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with those beliefs in mind, you know, that Germans are dangerous and they crave the wrong things. He wrote Nuremberg and its significance in hopes of establishing a suitable method to reinstate a form of justice in Germany that would help prevent another world war. Okay. He believed if the world confronted Germany with the atrocities committed during the wars, they'd refrain from repeating their actions and submit to a reorganized system of justice. So essentially, everyone guilt-tripped Germany for what they did, and they'll never do it again. Right. Weird way of putting something that I would have otherwise agreed with. I know. Like, <laughs> sure, you don't have to waste all of your time writing this. Like, we already know that was it was atrocious. Glad you can agree. We should, yeah, we should show them this these things to appeal to their morality and humanity. That's what's so frustrating. Like, but I would not say we need to reprogram I them. I know. With, like, it's like, you're right. It was wrong. We should make them accept what they do. <laughs> did was wrong but he's now on his second paper about writing about reforming the entire country and having the west do it so come in and dictate yeah (laughs) 
So in his paper, he decided that Germans were likely to commit atrocities because of their historical, biological, racial, and cultural past and their particular psychological nature. He also believed the nature had to be assessed accordingly when they were on trial in Nuremberg. I'm getting strong eugenics vibes out of this guy already. Okay, well, hold on to that. Okay. Because it won't just be strong. It'll be like, it stinks in here. (laughs) (laughs) Take a eugenic shit on the floor here. (laughs) So, yes, obviously in this book, he had to sneak in there about how you should handle um, the Nuremberg trial. And uh, I think he he knew what he was doing because in 1945, he, along with two other psychiatrists, I think that he worked with or were from around the area, they were invited to the Nuremberg trials to help give psychiatric evaluation of Rudolf Hess. Rudolf Hess. uh, Don't worry, I'll give you a quick little rundown here. Thank you. I know you know what the Nuremberg trials are. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's that blimp that crashed. Fuck that blimp, man. (laughs) So it was November 20th, 1945, when the Nuremberg trials were held. The trials were held by the Allies of World War II against representatives of the defeated Nazi Germany for plotting and carrying out invasions of other countries and other crimes in World War II. Yeah, like the Holocaust. Yeah, so that was, that's basically what the Nuremberg trials were. Mm -hmm. And then Rudolf Hess, he was a German politician um elite and a leading member of the nazi party right and his greatest weapon was his unibrow (laughs) (laughs) it was an industrial weapons grade unibrow it is wild i was gonna say it was it was pointed but it probably wasn't (laughs) (laughs) oh the unibrow Sir, why are you furrowing your brow at us? I can't help it. Literally, I only have one. (laughs) (laughs) I furrow it every morning. Thank you. So they were invited to give the evaluation of Rudolf Hess. Their diagnosis for him was that he was suffering from amnesia and hysteria. But he was sane and he was fit to stand trial. Oh, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I suddenly have amnesia. Well, I can't remember all those atrocities I committed. He uh, he still had to stand trial and he was still found guilty. Yeah. So he later confessed that he had faked the amnesia. I knew it. I fucking knew it right off the bat. But then I'm like the hysteria, though. Yeah, the hysteria. He's like, no, I was absolutely hysterical. We were all on fucking meth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget about the meth. Yo, they're all fucking methed out. Yeah. Like okay. straight Hitler, up speed. Hitler, all his SS crew or whatever. Yeah. All, like, they're yeah. all on fucking speed. Like, back then, it was this trendy, objective experiment. <laughs> now objective. it's just a really fucked up street drug. Speed City, man. <laughs> That's, honestly, <laughs> yeah. if the Nazis were to come up with a name for a city. <laughs> speed City. Add a speed. Add a speed. All right, so Cameron... Add a Krieg. <laughs> Cameron again wrote about Germans and Germany in Life is for Living. <laughs> Such a fucking stupid. What is this, his children's book now? So stupid. It, it uh, basically reiterated everything from his previous work, uh, Nuremberg and its significance. But now he was introducing his quote unquote theories and updated policies 
on things like really casual things, developing society, how people should interact, who should be allowed to have children, and who's qualified to be in positions of authority. Okay. It's, hey, what's that smell? <laughs> Stinks in here. Stinks of eugenics in here. So, uh, in his opinion, remember, I'm, I'm just saying what Donald would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we're all gonna have to just understand right now when you say shit that he says it's a characterization and you are not saying these things. Fuck no. And if you think I am, like you don't know me at all. Jesus Christ. She's <laughs> she's got a lot of a lot of controversial opinions about who should lead nineteen forties <laughs> Germany. No, this isn't all of society, man. Oh yeah, sorry, all he's of not society. Just, he's using mostly he's using Germans as a terrible example like this is the worst of the worst yeah and here, here's how we restructure the whole world to never be this because you can get away with it because everyone is looking for an answer for germany at the time exactly yep so yeah like i said in his opinion german people were not suitable to have children or hold positions of authority because of their genetic tendencies and so basically because of their fear and their aggression towards literally everyone, it will just keep leading to war instead of peace. This has got to be the pinnacle of <laughs> irony. It really just... The, the German people, their genetics do not allow them to have any power. Right. Well, it, well, it does. And that's the problem, which well, is why they, we... That's why they shouldn't yes, have any yes. power. That's <laughs> It's so painfully obvious that like throughout... Everything he's writing about, it's just him repeatedly using Germans and Germany as like this archetype of just absolutely psychologically disturbed, deviant humans who everything he's going to talk about and relate it back to Germans is, and, and you need to know. It's Germans. It's Germany. They're evil. Don't be like them. Here's how we restructure the whole world. Don't okay? be like them, but watch me be exactly like them. I know. And just wait. Yeah, I just I just imagine him when he's hearing about how the Nazis conducted uh, scientific experiments on people. Like, you know, how like a lot of our like uh, what we know today in medical world mm -hmm. is because of those terrible, terrible experiments. Yes. And he's he's probably like, oh, my God, experiments. That's awful. Where? Where? <laughs> so I can I avoid see. it. I have to see it so I know what not to do. Uh, how? How do Don't they? Don't <laughs> worry about this notebook I have. He knows what not to do. <laughs> Why are there a bunch of daggers on the cover? Oh, my God. Just screams mommy issues. <laughs> <laughs> Freud in a dress? What the fuck? <laughs> With the results of the Manhattan Project, the Manhattan Project, you know, I'll give you another quick rundown. We do a little dark adaptation rundown every once in a while. Yeah, we do. <laughs> the Manhattan Project was a research and development undertaking during World War II that produced the first nuclear weapons. The project was also charged with gathering intelligence on the German nuclear weapon project and rounding up German scientists. It was led by the United States with the support of the UK and Canada. Mm -hmm. That's what the Manhattan Project is. Yeah. Very condensed. <laughs> yeah, they, they made the A-bomb, baby. Short for... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> what he said. <laughs> so with the results of the Ah! Project, <laughs> Cameron feared without proper reorganization of society... Atomic weapons would fall into the hands of, quote-unquote, new fearsome aggressors, a.k.a. Germans. <laughs> he was so close. <laughs> he was so close. He 
argued that it was necessary for behavioral scientists to act as the social planners of society and that the United Nations could provide a conduit for implementing his ideas for applying psychiatric elements to global governance and policies. This part to me is very disturbing because he had connections to the United Nations and he moved in circles with like a bunch of like-minded people mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. Ready to hear this list? Yeah. <clears throat> He served as president of the American Psychiatric Association from 52 to 53. That's already like the top of highlight of like already successful doctors careers. He was president of the Canadian Psychiatric Association from 58 to 59. So you got both. He was president of the American Psychopathological Association in 1963. Mm -hmm. He was president of the Society of Biological Psychiatry in 65 and he was president of the world psychiatric association jesus fucking christ yeah that's like if fauci was also uh, head of the who oh yeah that's not even exaggerating yeah like it's that but also like a track record of other similar huge achievements so think about everything i've been talking to you about his weird papers he's publishing, and the, the people same... he's running with, the things he has governance over and a say in and a stake in, mm-hmm. and he's the president of all these things. Yeah, and this guy wants to essentially create uh, psychologists as civic engineering. Right. Like Psychiatrists, <laughs> he wants psychiatry to rule the world. He wants yeah. them to, to be the, the, the top tier. They're the ones that get to say they, they essentially structure society. Yep. That's what he wants. Yeah. Desperately. Hey, that sounds familiar. (laughs) I know. He's fucked. Uh, Yeah. So in the late 40s and into the 50s, he started to distinguish people as being either part of the weak or the strong. Oh, my God. You said that earlier. Yeah, I did. About, oh, are you having any sort of like mental illness or whatever? Then you're just weak. This guy's not very creative, though, eh? Did you notice that? Mm-mm. No, he doesn't know how to be creative. He just knows how to obviously steal ideas from Miller. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, but his book titles, though, are just top tier. Life is for living. What are you reading? Remembering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, he was starting to distinguish... Also, like, wow, just two types of people, quote-unquote the weak, quote-unquote the strong. So those, it's pretty straightforward. Those mm-hmm. with anxieties and securities had trouble with the state of the world, whatever. They were the weak, in his opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These people, the weak, they could not cope with life. They were a nuisance, essentially, and they had to be isolated from society by the strong. So in his eyes... Literally anybody with mental illness or honestly just normal people. You're not weak because you're worried about the state of the world. But anyone who he didn't really like was weak. He's like, Are you going to tell me he wants to round these people up? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No one recognized this as odd. 
I guess not. people loved him. He was the fucking president of all these associations. He was like the leading psychologist in the entire North American world. I know we now say never again, right? And I maybe that wasn't a thing yet right after the war, but it should have been. And someone should have been like, hey, that guy seems like he wants to do it again. Hey, I see a lot of red flags over there. They're waving. Okay, so what did you ask me? Is he going to round all these people up? Yeah, is he going to round them up? So he promoted a philosophy where chaos could be prevented by removing the weak from society. And psychiatry could play a disciplinary role. Which goes back to what he wrote about in his his best-selling paper, Life is for Living. Where he was introducing his like theories and policies on things like developing society, how people should interact, if they're allowed to have kids, who's qualified to be in positions of authority. I thought you were going to say psychology could play like a rehabilitative role, not a disciplinary. disciplinary. Oh, no. Yeah. So he further argued that the weak should not influence children. And he wanted to implement policies on who was allowed to be a parent. He believed anxieties started in childhood as a result of their family and that mental illness was transmitted generationally. How do you stop that? By remodeling and expanding existing concepts of marriage, suitability, and quarantining people with mental illness from the general population. No one have sex. The government will inseminate how we decide. Yeah. Oh, you're fucking... Oh, no, I was joking. That's how it... What do you mean? That's exactly what he... He's like, you can have a kid, you can have a kid, you can't. We'll let you get down and dirty with this person who's also allowed to have a kid. The only He's kid, just saying this because he's president of all these things, so he's just going to get laid. That's disgusting. He was married. I didn't really include her because she didn't deserve it. No. <laughs> <laughs> the only cure for mental illness was to eliminate its carriers from society altogether. So that's when these people, these top tier psychologists can come in and they can decide who's allowed to reproduce. And did you catch that part I said about how you got to quarantine people with mental illness? I did. I did from general population that. so yeah. that you can eliminate mental illnesses carriers. Like, I don't like this. Also, it's really, it's really confusing to me because he his, obviously his thought process or his philosophy or whatever the fuck started to change over time because when he first began lecturing and writing he had said that psychological illnesses are hardwired into a person so they're a direct result of someone's like biological makeup yeah rather than being caused by social environments so in this case he's talking about how children are developing anxieties in childhood so are they genetic or are they hardwired into a person yeah yeah or are they are they hardwired into a person and then they're later awakened if you were had stress in your family like what is the what is I it don't, here, i Donald? don't know i don't think you're gonna be able to <laughs> rationalize any of this even if in this case he's saying it was like later awakened because of stress in the family but even if that is the case it doesn't make sense stress for this. in the family what, what happens when another war breaks out <laughs> Are you going to quarantine the whole army? <laughs> no, there's not going to be another war that breaks out because he is going to lead the way. And he is going to get a top A team together. It's going to be social psychiatrists, 
biologists, analysts, and they're all going to create a society that expands across the vastness of the world, and they will cure mental illness. And we start with Poland. (laughs) (laughs) Do you work for him? Couldn't say. I have uh, amnesia. (laughs) (laughs) He's still sane, though. Okay, so yeah, just my my mind melts like man melts male. There it goes. <laughs> it hurts my brain when I'm like, dude, what is it? Like you can't have it every single way. But he's obviously just writing to suit whatever demented delusion he has at that time. Mm-hmm. So he was at this point in his life anyway. He's so fixated on eliminating the carriers, isolating people. Who have mental illness. Mm -hmm. And he was pissed off because he's like, society has established sanctions against the spread of infectious diseases. So I want to extend the concept of contagion to mental illness, like chronic anxiety. These people are contagious. They are are danger to society the same way that somebody who has an infectious disease is. So he argued that people with mental illnesses could spread and transmit their diseases. Larry, you stressing out is stressing me the <laughs> fuck out, all right? You go over there. Yeah, now you're now you have to be quarantined. Yeah, now you're quarantined. So he believed that mental illness was literally contagious. Like if if you have have um really bad Alzheimer's. No, that's psychosis. Oh. Um <laughs> No, okay. So if if you had like really bad anxiety schizophrenia something like that Mm -hmm. and me who doesn't comes into contact with you who is suffering then you give it to me and then i begin to produce those symptoms that you had and then this means that the whole group they're all compromised they're all have to be studied and controlled as a contagious social disease and then here we go we're all quarantined i can't wait for his next book (laughs) Uh, mental illness the deadly game of tag. <laughs> Man, he's not creative. He could not come up with that. He'd pay you to write the title. Red, Red Rover, Red Rover, I bring mental illness over. <laughs> oh, I wish. Because guess what? I'm about to talk about another lecture he wrote, and it doesn't have a cool, punchy name like that. Well, that's why I get paid to be a writer sometimes. That's right. Yeah. This this lecture that he's he's writing, it's called Dangerous Men and Women. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bond this is a bond bond slash fic, isn't it? He just wanted to read it to someone. <laughs> okay, so this Dangerous Men and Women it describes various personalities that he believed were dangerous. Wow. To all members of society. You want to hear a few examples? Yeah. Number one, a passive man who is, quote, afraid to say what he really thinks and will stand for anything and stands for nothing. Well, he lifted that part, too. <laughs> this guy sucks. <laughs> type two, a possessive type, someone who's filled with jealousy and demanding utmost loyalty. This personality type poses a danger to those closest to them, especially children. I don't want to see this guy in your children. No, I don't. No, no. <laughs> Next, we've got the insecure man. Quote, 
They are the driven crowds that makes the army of the authoritarian overlord. They are the suffering of con conservatism. Meteorocracy is their god. They fear the stranger. They fear the new idea. <laughs> oh my god. So you can't be driven. You can't expect loyalty. And you can't be... You can't be mo modest. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> What's left? So yeah, they fear the stranger. They fear the new idea. They are afraid to live and they're scared to die. Oh my god. Okay. So this this type of person who, you know, they're, they're the driven crowds. They're the authoritarian over overlord, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They need conformity. And obey the dis the dick and the, the <laughs> my brain. Well, because this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> this makes no sense. And as you read it, you're trying to figure out how the fuck he got there. I'm happy that I don't understand. This third type <laughs> that I just said, it needs conformity and obeys the dictates of society, adhering to a world of strict standards of right or wrong which are manipulated by power groups to keep the insecure controlled and dependent and he theorized that this type is dangerous because of its quote-unquote lust for authority so I feel like this guy thank just, you feel, all of that to say they have a lust for authority yeah thank you for making my brain hurt i feel like this guy just read ayn rand and was like absolutely not <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> round her up if you're if so, if you're thinking like, oh my god, all of this sounds like he's still focusing on Germans. Yes. Everything is like this is his bizarre, archetypical, like deviant German character that he's created and is gonna build all of his life's work on. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, get ready for the last type of dangerous man slash woman. Okay. The last type of dangerous member of society is the psychopath. The great danger in times of political and societal upheaval. I will label this the the Gestapo. <laughs> oh my god. It's not funny. It's so disturbing. It's it's funny in like a Because he's dead serious and yeah. people are reading this work this and, is... and allowing him to to lead these associations and thinking, wow. Donald Cameron, you are revolutionary. This is like a prequel to the death of Stalin. It's so scary. Yeah. Literally, he's like the most dangerous man slash woman because it's the 40s. So they're only are like, you're a man or you're a woman mm -hmm. is a psychopath. So we'll call them the Gestapo. Literally labeled them the Gestapo. Yep. Everyone knows what the Gestapo is, right? The political police of Nazi Germany. Yes. <laughs> I would hope so. Well, now you know. Well, now you know. He is missing one. What is it? The manipulator. <laughs> <laughs> the one reading this shit out loud <laughs> to a group of like fucking scientists trying to convince them. He doesn't think that he's a manipulator. He thinks he's just right. Oh, the irony, though. He believed in a society where psychiatrists, remember, they're quote unquote the strong. They should build and develop the institutions of government, schools, prisons, hospitals, literally everything, because then science could triumph over, quote unquote, the weak members of society. He said, quote, 
get it understood how dangerous these damaged, sick personalities are to us, and above all, to our children, whose traits are taking form, and we shall find ways to put an end to them. I'm going to start using get it understood. Get it understood. Are you fine? Are you fine? (laughs) (laughs) So in between his lectures and writing books and essays, you know, because he has all this fucking time on his hand to be absolutely delusional, he Mm -hmm. furthered his diagnostic definitions of clinical states such as anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, you know, all the things that make you a weak person. Right, right, right. So once he established diagnostic definitions, he began to develop the discipline, which would revolve around the roles of interpersonal interactions, family, community, and culture, and how they caused the emotional disturbances in the week. So why are these people with anxiety, schizophrenia, whatever, disturbed? Like, what what happened mm-hmm. that, that has made them this way? Of course, this meant that he had to monitor the week. Mm-hmm. So he placed the psychiatric treatment unit inside of the hospital, the Allen Memorial Institute, where he was in charge. Right. So that he could inspect and observe his patients. One discipline at this hospital was to monitor the psychiatric patient and see how their behavior or symptoms resembled and compared to patients with diseases that were not psychiatric in nature. Right. And he called this procedure intrapsychic. <laughs> And he would be like, so I have a patient here. They are suffering from chronic anxiety. They have schizophrenia, whatever. Mm -hmm. Let me see how, while I monitor them, the symptoms that they exhibit, how they compare and essentially mimic or whatever, symptoms of physical diseases. Like the main example that was always used was like syphilis. Right, right. So like someone who has syphilis, someone who has a really bad flu, whatever. Stuff that is physically like a physical ailment, yeah. He's like, we'll put them in this room and we'll monitor them. And this is my procedure called intrapsychic. I hate that name. (laughs) I do too. Sounds like a medium. It would have been cool. But no, he made it weird. He had to make it weird. Guess what? Just when you think he couldn't get any weirder or scarier. He delivers on both of those things. Oh, fuck. (laughs) During the 1950s and 1960s, Cameron became involved in what is now known as the MKUltra Project a mind control program secretly sponsored by the CIA. I don't like that. No, he's the last person that should be. This is back when the CIA was like, no one will know about it anyway, so let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. So quick uh, little rundown. MKUltra was the code name for an illegal human experimentation program designed and undertaken by the CIA to develop procedures and identify drugs that could be used in interrogations to weaken individuals and force confessions through psychological torture. On top of drugs like LSD, MKUltra used electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal abuse, and sexual abuse as forms of torture to manipulate the mental states and brain functions of its subjects. 
Jesus Christ. It began in 53 and ran until 73. It was organized through the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence and coordinated with the U.S. Army's Biological Warfare Laboratories. The program engaged in illegal activities, including the use of U.S. and Canadian citizens as unwitting test subjects. MKUltra's scope was broad, with activities carried out under the guise of research at more than 80 institutions, including colleges, universities, hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies. The CIA operated using front organizations. Top officials at some of these institutions were aware of the CIA's involvement. Oh my god. That was a that was a lot. MK Ultra rundown. <laughs> that was a lot. That was that's alarming. So that's what this fucking guy, Cameron, is involved in. Oh good. So think of everything I just told you about this guy. He's a match made in heaven for this program. Mm -hmm. Since the CIA used hospitals to conduct their MKUltra projects, the Allen Memorial Institute was a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Cameron was like crazy and power hungry and clearly wanted to dominate what he called the weak. Yeah. And he wanted to punish people for yeah. being weak. Exactly. Sick. So Cameron had discovered that once a subject entered an... Quote, amnesiac, somnambulistic state, they would become hypersensitive to suggestion. So basically, Cameron discovered that he could put people in a state and essentially brainwash them. Right, yeah. He wanted to explore this discovery and use techniques to correct schizophrenia and other mental illnesses by erasing existing memories and reprogramming the psyche. And the CIA caught wind of this liked the idea and was like cameron here research this uh you gotta go on with this you gotta conduct more research it's an excellent technique that we can use further cia would fucking like this well, yeah <laughs> and he would and this guy <laughs> would try and figure out how to reboot the brain just i i got an idea this person's schizophrenic out. hear me out we turn her off and on again <laughs> What do you think? See, I was like, damn. Put him in charge of IT. <laughs> so in 1957, Cameron made the two-hour commute from Lake Placid, New York, to Montreal every week to work at the hospital and was paid a total of $69,000 to carry to carry out MKUltra experiments there. $69,000 in 1957. Uh, one hundred and ninety thousand, two hundred and three hundred, six hundred, five hundred and twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> wow, that was pretty good. Thanks. Five hundred forty thousand dollars. Five five hundred forty thousand dollars. Five. <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> Wish you could be broke. <laughs> I don't know how to say this number. <laughs> Let me see. Oh my god. Help. Help. I'm broken. $540,538.86. Thank you. <laughs> Guys, I think that I'm becoming a victim of MKUltra. <laughs> 
someone's reprogramming my brain. It's in that coffee. Oh, it's the mug. Mm. Okay. So that's a lot of fucking money. He was given over $500,000 to carry out these experiments. These experiments are now known as MKUltra Subproject 68, a.k.a. the Montreal Experiments. Oh, okay. So at the yep. beginning when I was like, oh, just wait. We'll talk about Montreal later. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay, here we are. Subproject 68. Sub MKUltra Subproject 68. Montreal experiments. The Spesdenyet <laughs> project. <laughs> the Montreal experiments were a series of experiments initially aimed to treat schizophrenia by changing memories and erasing the patient's thoughts using methods developed and authorized by Cameron. With the goal of inducing lifelong changes in humans, Cameron used different methods of depatterning and repatterning the brain, which he used procedures that he called psychic driving and psychic driving <laughs> your face. I don't like it. Psychic driving included drug induced sleep, intensive electroconvulsive therapy, sensory deprivation, oh. and the administration of drugs. It's MK ultra. You know what drugs it is. LSD. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh no. I put it together. Sorry, the one part that was uh, upsetting to me was the mm -hmm. uh, electric shock therapy one. Oh, I know. And I was just imagining, I don't know if they maybe got someone on LSD and then just started zapping them. Of course they them. did. Uh, I'll tell you all about it. That's like that's like someone getting LSD and just coming up to you and going, nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. <laughs> Honestly, all of this is a nightmare. Are you ready? You're going to get secondhand nightmare. Okay. So, again, his whole theory was all, all of the... Um, the practices he used, mm -hmm. he just grouped under the term psychic driving. That was his method. And that was had a bunch of sub uh, categories of torture, pretty much. Right. So we've got drug-induced sleep. He would use very high doses of Thorazine, which is an antipsychotic medication, mm -hmm. to put patients into an artificial coma. This drug-induced sleep, or fucking coma... Yeah. Would take place in in the sleep room. Ew. <laughs> Ew. He'd be like, take him to the sleep room. And then he'd put him in a fucking coma. Why do he always lick his lips when he said that? I don't know. And he'd rub his hands together. <laughs> take him to the sleep room. Come to the ASMR podcast. <laughs> Ew. <Paul>. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. He would put them in the coma. And this, it would last... They would be put in the sleep room and the coma would last from a few days to up to a few months. You put someone out for a few months? One. I saw one article that said up to 65 days and I saw another article that said up to 89 days. That person's brain dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, well, we could turn the computer off and on again. And then this guy's like, well, how about we just take a sledgehammer to it? That's upsetting, but yeah. It's pretty accurate this, from what I hear. The, obviously, these fucking sleep-induced, drug-induced sleep comas mm -hmm. were longer than patients ever expected. If they ever even thought they would be put into some sort of drug-induced sleep. Waking up fucking three months later. 
So he would often combine the sleep periods with injections of hallucinogenic drugs and administration of electroshocks, all while playing pre-recorded messages on loops. So you were right. People would be high oh. as shit on LSD, and then they'd get electroconvulsive therapy, which I'm going to say ECT because it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. ECT on top of fucking LSD. So like there's people who are put to the sleep room. Mm-hmm. They're they're out. Mm-hmm. The first thing that happens when they wake up is they're already on LSD. Mm-hmm. And then someone starts zapping them. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to sleep and we repeat all while something over the speaker is going, it, don't forget to drink your Ovaltine and be mm-hmm. a good person. Like, mm-hmm. yes, that's that would just ruin you as a person. It would. You would never come back from that. And all of this was in order to repattern the brain. And so the... They had to listen to these messages on loop, like I said, and they were repeated, the same messages. And it was a specific recording of Cameron himself speaking. And this process of the record, the records on loop would take place for up to 16 hours a day. And altogether, messages could be repeated up to a half a million times. And for the first 10 days, because it was a 20-day uh, session with the recordings Mm -hmm. for the first 10 days the recordings contained personal like personally driven negative messages like attacking the person Mm -hmm. and then it would be followed by 10 days of positive messages but i mean i want to know what positive messages are to a guy like cameron yeah (laughs) so yeah exactly right they get put under they get injected with lsd they get shocked probably shocked awake Mm mm-hmm put under again all while listening to these degrading messages for 10 days and going insane is it weird that when you were saying they they do the whole like degrading shit to break them down it just reminded me of like that's what they do in boot camp for the military they you get in there you just get yelled at nonstop until you fit in it's a form of torture that's fucked it's so fucked so the obviously people are in this fucking sleep room. They're being tortured. So they would get wicked anxiety. So if anxiety started to like present itself, mm-hmm. then the patient was countered with heavy doses of sedative drugs like amabarbital and, you know, good old Thorazine. So they would just be like, oh, this person is becoming hysterical hit them with amabarbital and then that just like sedates you and like pretty much makes you like hypnotized and just out yeah it's it's your your whole brain you're getting shocked awake so you're going to be having like wicked adrenaline spikes and your body's going to be like fighting Mm -hmm. and then you're just injected with immediate sedatives like yeah this is this is his process on curing mental illness this is only the first type of psychic driving. Oh, no. That was just drug-induced sleep. <laughs> All right. So we've got ECT, so electroconvulsive therapy. Mm-hmm. It was another procedure used to depattern the brain, but it was it was used a lot, especially if people were getting the sleep-induced therapy. Mm-hmm. But it was heavily used on people who were called treatment-resistant. So if you have treatment-resistant psychological disorders, then you are like... uh like a heavy case of of someone who is depressed or whatever because there are people who suffer from like major depressive episodes mm-hmm. and medicine doesn't help them. Right. So he's like, 
okay, perfect. You're a great candidate for my ECT program. Oh, you can't get out of bed? <clears throat> Grabs a car battery. Yeah, pretty much. So he would usually order two to three daily sessions that consisted of six 150-volt shocks that lasted one second each. After 30 to 40 daily sessions... What the fuck? Cameron progressively reduced the sessions and finished the treatment. Once the initial treatment was concluded, a two-year follow-up program was instated where the patient had to attend one ECT session per month. In rare cases, he conducted very powerful electroconvulsive therapy, up to 40 times more powerful than what's typically used on a patient. So typically, 70 to 120 volts is applied, whereas Cameron would apply between 2,800 and 4,800 volts. This is no wonder... No wonder that I remember reading about how fucking Hemingway had to do ECT and it broke him. Mm -hmm. Like the like literally the the man, the myth, the legend mm -hmm. is like a great way of describing Hemingway and ECT broke him. And they actually think it, it was um, a contributing factor to his own suicide. Absolutely. Like Jesus you Christ. Could, you could have a fucked sicko like Donald Cameron yeah. in charge of administering it and, and dictating what you what is applied to you. Yeah, I wonder if uh, I should look at where he got the ECT because Hemingway used to live, used to write for the Toronto Star and uh, would be in the States all the time and, oh and around God. Canada. That would be very interesting to And learn. I think Montreal at a certain point. So, Ooh. yeah. Yeah, definitely check that out. So that's ECT. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Third form of psychic driving, sensory deprivation. Mm -hmm. Patients are deprived of their senses by covering their ears eyes and skin so like um i think that means like wearing gloves or socks or something so there's no so that, like, sensory feel yeah with their with their hands yeah. i think that's what that means so yeah ears eyes skin covered they were given very little food water and oxygen and they were injected with drugs like yay. lsd yay and this other thing called cure air okay so i guess it's um a name given to a plant that produces toxic substances mm -hmm. and typically it's a, like made into a, a paste and it was applied to arrowheads and used to kill prey when hunting. So it's like an old school toxic substance. Yeah. That's and fucked. yeah, so that was experimented with. <laughs> Why not? Because it can, it puts people in a paralyzed state. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, they would be going through sensory deprivation while being injected with a drug like that. All right. After a patient went through absolute torture by this man, he no he made this note about one. One, like a group of the people that went through sensory deprivation. Mm -hmm. Quote, Although the patient was prepared by both prolonged sensory isolation and by repeated depatterning, and although she received 101 days of positive driving, no favorable results were obtained. No kidding. 101 days of pure torture yep. at the hands of this man in his psychic driving, and he admits in his notes... No favorable results were obtained. You got nothing of this, and you put a, a woman through 101 days of torture. 
Well, he was trying to help her. Yeah, he said positive driving. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Disgusting. Christ. So patients were tested in the in a place, I guess, called the radio telem- telemetry. Telemetry. Radio laboratory. Telemetry? Radio telemetry. Laboratory. Laboratory. Fucking hell. So this was built under Cameron's direction. Here, the patients were exposed to a range of radio frequencies and electromagnetic signals, and they were monitored for changes in behavior. Hmm. It was reported that none of the patients returning from testing conducted in this lab showed any signs of improvement. No, (laughs) I wouldn't think so. The exact numbers of people who were abused and violated in the Montreal experiments is unknown, but for sure over 300 people applied for compensation in 1992 with the Canadian government. Okay. They, I hate this because every like document, especially if the government or the CIA is referencing these b- victims, mm-hmm. they call them participants. Oh, the part- participants. Yeah, they, they really, per- they really wanted to participate. I hate it, and I'm like, there weren't fucking participants. Nobody would willingly subject themselves to this. He absolutely abused them. Yeah. So I'm saying victims because they are. Yeah. The victims of the experiments mainly had mental health issues like depression, schizophrenia, and they were hoping to receive proper and ethical treatment from this guy. Mm-hmm. They're like, we've heard you're the best of the best. All of North America is talking about you. Help us. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. <laughs> All right. Check this out. 101 days. Yeah. Of pure torture. Yep. None of them had given their consent to the procedures, and none of them were aware of the experiments being conducted, which is, like I said, why I'm not calling them fucking participants, because yeah, they're not. If anything, they were the afflicted. Yeah. This like, is a horrible violation. And ironically, it's a huge violation of the Nuremberg Code. Yeah. A set of ethical... Research principles for human experimentation created after World War II. Nuremberg Code. Buddy was involved in the Nuremberg trials. He helped diagnose these people who he was saying were, were sick. Yep. And look what he's doing. This guy is just the biggest hypocrite I've ever heard of. Like, astronomically. Yeah. So the victims, or the afflicted, which is also good, they suffered from retrograde amnesia which it usually affects um like recently stored memories like short-term memory not long-term memory oh okay yep uh so for the rest of their lives they suffered with this and after the experiments afflicted on them many of them were left in a childlike state and they had to relearn basic skills like eating using the bathroom like they were their brain was mush. So you're telling me if you put someone on some heavy psychotic drugs and then just zap them for a hundred days, they're not functional members of society? So surprising, right? Yeah. I'm shocked. <coughs> I know the pun was not intended. Well, no, no, never. <laughs> no, no, no. Family. Because remember, these people have fucking family. They probably helped get them into this institution. Like, there's a great place. It's revolutionary. It's going to yeah. be amazing for you. But mm. these families got their family member, brothers, sisters, parents back, and they were just in this emotionally unstable 
state. They're like, we sent you in here for help and we're getting you back tenfold worse. Yeah. Like, so much worse. What a piece of shit. I you'd, know. Because there'd be a certain point where you're giving the patients back and you're like, I didn't achieve anything. And just, you know, you think after the second patient where you have to do that, you'd be like, maybe Hundreds. I'm not on the right fucking track. Imagine a guy like this admitting he was wrong. One victim of the Montreal experiments was named Gene uh, Steele. Really cool name. That's a great name. And Jean's daughter said that Jean was never the same woman again. She would just sit alone in the dark in her room and she would write these mysterious codes on the walls. And her Ew. her daughter said, quote, her emotions are stripped. It took her soul away. Oh my and god. She was just this like shell of a human that would sit in the dark and write weird things on the wall. That's terrifying. That That's is. your mother. You sent her away for help and she came back like that. Mm-hmm. That would be... I. It's horrible. It is yeah. horrible. There is no clear evidence of what really happened in the Montreal experiments. None of Cameron's personal files concerning his experiments survived. Other documents which would verify the Montreal experiments either no longer exist or they are still classified. Mm-hmm. Most of the information on the experiments is rooted in reports of patients, especially their journals or court reports. So it's really the patients and the victims and stuff who are like, this is what I went through. And it's corroborated by hundreds of people. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, so there's already an answer. All I was going to say is um, the FBI CIA have a mandate now to start declassifying things. Mm -hmm. And that's how like a bunch of these like big mysteries that happened in the uh, like Reagan era. Yes. Are starting to get declassified now. Yes. And they're they're coming out. They're kind of interesting, but that's why like it was, the MK Ultra ended in 73 and mm-hmm. that was I'm pretty sure when Watergate happened 73 I think so I think you're right so like yeah all makes sense but I think that maybe some of the stuff is still classified in this case because MK Ultra was huge mm-hmm. it ha- it spanned like almost I think 20 years 20 years exactly yeah and it had like this is we're talking about Everything I've told you is Montreal experiment. It's mm-hmm. a sub project, sub project sixty eight. God knows how yeah. many projects there are. Yeah, I would think at least sixty eight. Yeah, and I got news for you if you're not quite familiar with the CIA and what they've done back then. Mm-hmm. Don't hold up much hope for the other whatever number of exactly. subcategories we're going They're probably on. Probably like what we released information on MK Ultra. And you're like, mm-hmm, that's you're like, the tip this is, of the iceberg. This is pretty bad. And they're like, oh, glad we gave him the nicest one first. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. Uh, yeah, so to this day, exactly what happened and the true nature of the experiments in Montreal has been kept a very dark secret by the CIA, who work hard to prevent information from getting out to the public unless, you're like you're saying, they have to declassify it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this stuff goes back to like the fucking 50s so they had tons of time to like 
destroy files and yeah and also make if people it was, sign non-disclosure agreements and stuff like that yeah and also if it's ongoing like mm-hmm. so if it went for 20 years after like i don't know how the declassified work i sure i'm pretty certain like then it's just not going to be so upsetting yeah like what we can see is that cameron wanted to build an inventive psychiatric institution to determine rapid ways for societal control he hoped to generate institutions and families capable of using authority and associated techniques to take measures against mental illness. And he unethically and inappropriately experimented on his patients. He, he abused and tortured them. They were not participants. These were victims. Yep. <sighs> All he- because he was like, I need to develop a set of techniques that work that I can teach to people I deem worthy enough to lead society and they can use everything i've created to continue this legacy and make sure every baby that's born is born by a person i've deemed accept accepted as a parent like it's just so (laughs) the irony is that he like he had this whole vendetta against people he sought uh, saw as undesirable to society and yet he was the greatest affliction to the society at the yeah, time he's a monster yeah his his type is the grossest of the gross mm-hmm. yep whether or not he was aware that funding for his experiments was coming from the cia is unclear Mm-hmm. Uh, over the years, employees at the Allen Memorial Institute and the university, they have searched for evidence that indicated if he knew or not, but no one has been able to uncover anything specific. We know that he got funding, but it could have been like dictated funding for him because he was just in charge of the institute. Um, plus, we know that the CIA just through however whatever channels they have heard about what he was doing so Mm -hmm. it's not exactly known who approached him directly and said here's where some money is coming from yeah they set up they set up that intentional um uh set of shell organizations you know whether they're like medical organizations or something but specifically so that when you go to look at it there's plausible deniability You'd not be able to directly link any knowledge of the CIA's work into this. Into this specifically. Because there yeah. is cases where the people in charge are aware mm-hmm. that it's the funding is from the CIA. But in this case, no one has been able to really determine where he stood. Yeah. Uh, people have argued, though, that it wouldn't matter if he got funding from the, the CIA or wherever he thought the funding was coming from. Mm-hmm. He would have carried out the exact same experiments regardless of if he had money or not people are people like who study him research him are like look at the way his life was going the trajectory of how he wanted his his career and influence to lead he would have done this no matter what yeah and i agree with that i think he was cut from the same cloth of the people that were being charged in the nuremberg no and the only reason power tripping yeah exactly and the only reason that he was he involved himself was because in some regard he saw himself in them and was like, oh, well, but they're there and I'm here and Look I get to do I what I want. I am exactly like you. Yet somehow I am in the seat of deeming if you are evil or not. Yeah. Someone like me should not <laughs> be able yeah. to do that. And he had like the exact same ideology. 
It's fucking to, ridiculous. Insane. Mm-hmm. All of this, and when you're just like, whoa, the hypocrisy. Yep. After leaving MK Ultra Sub Project 68 in 1964, he returned to Albany, New York, as research professor at the Albany Medical School and director of the Laboratory for Research in Psychiatry and Aging at the Veterans Administration Hospital. So in 64, I dipped out of the MK Ultra program, or maybe the funding was done, or whatever happened. Mm-hmm. He just went back to New York. When he was commuting to Montreal, he lived in Lake Placid. Um, he moved to Albany where he had lived a while ago. Yeah. And was just doing the same old shit. Yeah. Going to work at uh, schools. He was director again. He was living that his best we life. Know of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so like I had mentioned earlier, MK Ultra officially ended. <laughs> officially. Yeah. Ended. In 1973. Mm -hmm. More information was revealed in the Canadian CBC documentary series, The Fifth Estate. I I know. They're so good. In 1980, they released the first episode about MKUltra. It featured two Canadian patients speaking out for the first time about the treatment that they went through. The show was revealed. The show also revealed that Ottawa, uh, I think they mean Parliament. Mm-hmm. had aided to suppress information that CIA officials had apologized to the Canadian government following the following the initial revelation of the experimentation. Yep. Um, probably because they were like, shit, so yeah. they're real? Yeah. Fuck. And yes, it's 100% Ottawa was parliament. Yeah, okay. So the, yeah. So they were like, just like, oh, shit, let's not tell anyone about this because then people have to listen to these patients saying they were tortured. Yep. So the Fifth Estate released a second episode mm-hmm. just a few la- years later in 2017. Oh, okay. And this focused on the present-day struggle of the victims to receive co- like proper compensation, the obstacles made to prevent them from speaking out about their experiences, and the effects of the CIA and Canadian government to... And the efforts of the CIA and Canadian government to keep their involvement hidden. In 1988, the victims won a class action settlement against the CIA and received $85,000 each. Okay. $208,000 today. Okay. And a 1992 compensation from the Canadian government where 77 people received $127,000 today. Um, but they had to sign away their rights to sue the government or the hospital. So they got this lump sum and they were like, here's your money. Shut up. It's shit money for what happened. For 77 people. Remember. Yeah. That compensation did not extend to over 250 remaining victims. Guess oh, why? God. Guess why? Oh, please, why? They were denied because they applied. They're like, I want my money. Yeah. They were denied because... Um, quote, they were either not tortured enough. Uh-huh. They applied for compensation too late. Uh-huh. Or you can't produce medical records, so you don't apply. Oh, my God. The not tortured enough is like, pardon. Yeah. You don't get to tell yeah. somebody if they were tortured or not. Yeah, you know what? Here, here's a little piece of advice, government. If you are maybe already kind of, you know, maybe affiliated with this whole ultra thing, maybe you just throw the money at it. Maybe. You just say, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know what? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And to this day, neither the Canadian government nor the CIA have issued formal apologies for their involvement and funding MKUltra or the Montreal experiments. Obviously, since Parliament was suppressing the initial apology from the CIA, we can say that they have not formally apologized. But by the sounds of it and by the research that the Fifth Estate did, the mm -hmm. CIA did apologize, which mm -hmm. is fucking nice, I guess. Like, thanks. Yeah. But <laughs> there's no official apology from either of them because the Canadian government just is like, shut it down. <laughs> Don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. In 2017, the government, the Canadian government, reached an out-of-court settlement with one of the daughters of a victim from the Montreal experiment. Mm -hmm. They they paid her 100,000 US dollars in exchange for dropping the legal case and signing a non-disclosure agreement, which would prevent her from talking about the settlement. So who knows how many other people they've done that with. Yeah, that, that was probably the ideal outcome for the government. Mm -hmm. Multiple books. Also, a thousand... 100,000 US dollars. So that money probably came from the CIA because this was a Canadian settlement. Oh, that's fucking weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's very strange, actually. Yes. So multiple books and essays have been written about Donald Cameron and the projects he led. Like I said, people are like, fucking research him to the fucking T. Mm -hmm. uh, one of these books was written by a woman called Naomi Klein, and it's called The Sleep Doctrine. And she states in this book that Cameron's research and his contribution to MKUltra were not about mind control and brainwashing, but, quote, to design a scientifically based system for extracting information from resistant sources. In other words, torture, end quote. Yeah. She then cites um, this historian named Alfred W. McCoy, who said, quote, Cameron's experiments laid the scientific foundation for the CIA's psychological torture methods. Mm -hmm. Yep. I can imagine that a lot of his work went into the tactics used in, for example, Guantanamo. Um, that was actually one of the biggest examples given was Guantanamo Bay. Yep. For the, especially like sensory deprivation and stuff. Yep. And the um, Where they looping of tapes and they're like playing the same songs and stuff. And Yeah, they'll play like death metal or they'll play play pigs screaming yeah like it's and while flashing mm -hmm. strobe lights mm -hmm. like it's, it's disgusting it's terrifying and then they're like it's technically not torture it's torture and these people are technically not pow's because they're not part of a military wow <laughs> yeah you didn't know that so i do know that i just doesn't get any less shocking to hear yeah so like the whole reason that all those people were allowed to stay in guantanamo in like a essentially purgatory was because they were essentially not like part of a military. They could just sit there. There was no rules about when or how they got a trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they just sat there, strobe lighting them away. It's not torture though. It's not torture. The CIA, they got no chill. Human experimentation did not begin with MKUltra. It was, it was preceded by two drug related experiments. Okay. Project Bluebird and Project Artichoke. Fucking ridiculous names were that.
I'll just give um, some a quick rundown of Project Bluebird and Artichoke. Okay. Project Bluebird, a CIA mind control program run by the Office of Scientific Intelligence from 1951 to 1953. During this time, the CIA authorized experiments to be conducted by licensed psychiatrists. Good. We, we don't want them to be unlicensed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be ethical. Thank God for that. <laughs> the experiments had various purposes, including creating new identities, inducing amnesia, inserting hypnotic access codes into subjects' minds, creating multiple personalities, and creating false memories. The research also included placing brain electrodes in people and controlling their behavior with remote transmitters. They also administered daily doses of LSD to children for extended periods of time and used electroconvulsive therapy to erase their memories. God, the coolest kids in the block. <sighs> Crazy. Yeah. Also, um, I, w- I had to Google what what the fuck that even means to place brain electrodes in people. Yep. Oh, and an, and I guess an electrode is like this electrical conductor that co- contacts the non-metallic circuits circuit parts of a circuit so they're like shoving these in people because they don't yep. they don't need a, a uh, metallic conductor it's like yep. cramming it in them and r- using remote transmitters to control them yep that's fucking so gross i was like ew yeah <laughs> fucking project bluebird sounds like a religious retreat yeah. <laughs> so evil well so it's a religious retreat. <laughs> so the next rundown, Project Artichoke. Yeah. The fuck makes up these names. Do they just pull them out of a hat? I love Project Artichoke already. Okay, well, they uh, it was a project that researched interrogation methods and arose from Project Bluebird on August 20th, 1950 run, and it was run by the Office of Scientific Intelligence. Surprise. The project studied hypnosis, forced morphine addiction, mm-hmm. so therefore the subsequent withdrawal of morphine, yeah, and the use of other chemicals among other methods. Just phew, fucking hell. <laughs> project Artichoke was a program of mind control conducted by the intelligence divisions of the Army, mm-hmm. the Navy, the Air Force, and the FBI. So everyone. The scope of the project was outlined in a memo dated January 1952 that stated, quote, Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our biddings against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation? Oh, God. So just can we can we create a person who's who will do a suicide mission against every instinct possible? Mm hmm. That's terrifying. It's, it's fucking terrifying. So it's obvious that all of these projects are the same. They're just changing the names for like whatever reason. Yeah. They're yeah. like, okay, you know, we got like, we have these problems with red tape. We have these problems with funding. So if we just change the name, then maybe we can kind of reset the process. But we don't have to reset the work. Because mm, mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's always LSD. It's always torture methods, interrogation methods. Can we brainwash you? Like literally since the late 40s. Yeah. Into the 70s. Yeah. It's it, all the same fucking project. And they're like, okay, well, like this time, let's, let's like let Craig have a crack at it. Yeah. But instead of saying it's Craig's project, they call it Project Artichoke. <laughs> no. 
I mean, they're looking at the fucking, like, docket of everyone involved. They're like, um, excuse me, the board of directors for this Project Artichoke is all the same as Project Bluebird. Yeah, and? It's a new project. Yeah. It's fucked. And it just makes you think, like, how many projects were there really between the 50s and the 80s? And when I'm researching this and I'm hearing about all of these projects, MKUltra, the fucking how vast it was mm-hmm. sub project 68 like little yeah it makes you think like okay so the montauk project really doesn't seem so far-fetched now no because they were trying to achieve all this fucking bullshittery yeah yeah and the allegations that cameron participated in the supposed human experimentations that happened at camp hero in montauk they also don't seem that far-fetched especially since, remember, he returned to New York after he finished his MK Ultra work in Montreal. Yeah. When he was commuting to Montreal, he lived in Lake Placid, which was only a two-hour drive. And if you were driving from Albany, New York to Montauk, it would be a nearly five-hour drive. But still. I can assure you people, impossible. people like this don't just lose their drive once they end a project. No, plus or after MKUltra, he just went back to work being a director at other universities and medical places and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, he just assumed the role he always had. Yeah. He probably went out there and... He, he did something else. Okay, so the Montreal experiments, they all happen at the Allen Memorial Institute, which is a part of McGill University. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, that's a huge question in this story. Where's McGill University in all of this? That is, yeah. That was something I was wondering right off the bat. I was like, what the fuck does McGill think they're doing here? So, they are very um, public and open about it. They're like, fucking sorry. Yeah. It's fucked up. Please, please don't hold it against us. Like, whoops. That's one of the nice things about Canadian universities a lot of the time is that because the students will revolt that's the end of them they yeah like they really really regardless of how they handled it they'd be forced to address it so they just are open with it Mm -hmm. so they like today nowadays the university employs research integrity officers and ethics officers who are in charge of reviewing and updating ethical frameworks um specifically about research uh and since cameron's time there there has been so many changes like just the world itself and with medicine and and yeah. ethics and stuff is totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, since the 70s and the early 80s, Canada and McGill have a regulatory framework for the ethical conduct of research with various mechanisms to ensure its implementations. New rules, stricter journals, and peer reviews are set to uphold medical standards. Mm-hmm. One ethics officer from the Faculty of Medicine at McGill said, quote, the consent process has to be submitted for review by the ethics board, and this is usually done through a consent form. The consent form must contain all of the elements so that the participant is clear on what they are being asked to do, that they are made aware of the possible risks involved, and that they are informed as to how their confidentiality will be maintained and how their information will be used. So it is like nowadays we use informed consent instead of like yeah, consent. Instead of just consent because it informed goes like. Consent. It's like, well, you're consenting to literally a fuckload of things. I need to inform you about it. Here we go. Yeah. Like it's not just like, 
we're going to do ECT. And they're like, yeah, great. And it's like, no, no do you do you check yes that you understand what ECT is? And I'll explain and everything you to, to you, including what ECT stands for, the origins of it, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to do, what might happen, possible outcomes, positive and negative. And mm-hmm. it's like... <sighs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is good. Yeah, it's good. Imagine. I'm glad that has to Imagine happen. the absolute rap sheet of an explanation that would have to happen for, for the fucking what went on before. That's the thing. We're gonna like, break you down. We're gonna call you an absolute piece of garbage for the first week. By the time you're just absolutely dysfunctional, we're gonna start building you up, <laughs> and then. By the way, we're not going to stop with the shock therapy, though. It's going to hurt like a bitch. And you're going to be, I'm going to instate a two-year program. So you got to come back for treatment once a month. Yeah. By the end of this, you won't even know how to wipe your own ass. It'll be great. Yep. <laughs> the patients of the MK Ultra Subproject 68, aka the Montreal Experiments, expected help and positive changes from Cameron's treatment. But instead, they severely suffered under unethical conditions and we use unethical it's like my god there needs to be its own word yeah it's such an understatement Mm -hmm. not only the patients but like i had said before their families there's a long lasting effect on everyone's health in this case because these people who probably helped send their parents or whoever away get them back and then have to take care of them because they came back in childlike states and you're like fine i'll potty train you what they were subjected to like, the best way to capture this is they were subjected to emotional, psychological, and physical abuse in a systemic environment, mm-hmm. which is the scariest type of environment for something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And there's like two, two things in particular. All of this I find incredibly disturbing. Mm-hmm. But there's two things that stand out to me just as, like, absolutely fucked. The first is that he was a physician uh psychiatrist Mm -hmm. he was the most prominent psychiatrist in north america Mm -hmm. he could have used his practices in a completely different way and instead he turned into this power hungry controlling hypocritical like mad scientist almost Mm -hmm. and he he helped send nazis to death for doing the same things that he ended up doing he helped give diagnoses to people that said this monster should be hanged because of what they did in world war ii and Mm -hmm. he's out there doing the same things yeah and two another thing i find super disturbing is that he obviously hated or at least feared germany so much that he equated every german to a nazi or someone involved with the nazi party he was like all of you are no better than a Nazi. And 90% of the philosophies that he developed and preached used Germans as an example of dangerous people and people that needed reform and restructure. And ultimately, these philosophies manifested into these horrible experiments, which he conducted on innocent people. Yeah. People in society that sought help from him and his psychiatric work. And this ghoul turned them into fucking his, his own fucking guinea pigs. Yep. Oh, it just enrages me. <laughs> Cameron died of a heart attack while mountain climbing with his son on September 8th, 1967, when he was 65 years old. So he didn't, he died early. Yeah. Good for him. Poor jeans. <laughs> the week. 
And that is the just disturbing and gross story of the unethical Donald Ewan Cameron. I wonder how many other fucked up projects there are being conducted right now. I'm starting to feel like there's quite a bit. <laughs> it's so scary. It is actually very scary. Isn't this guy just a monster? Yeah. He's a monster. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure you rate and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Visit our link tree and buy us a coffee. Mm. Message us some case suggestions so you can add them to our list. And then hopefully your topic is one that we pick. Mm-hmm. And we'll shout you out. Yeah. Be sure to listen to Spoils of Horror. And tune in next week to hear Dyson lead the episode and talk about some spooky shit. Oh, yeah. We got president or president. Wow. Already on a hot start. We got got prime ministerial ghouls. (laughs) We got haunted places just lurking beside Parliament Hill. I love it. Yeah. We've got a lot of great shit. I'm excited because I can sit back and listen for once. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited because it's it's like I love haunted places and I love haunted ghost stories of like, you know, when you walk into a building and it's really old and it's got a lot of character and you just kind of want to know what's behind that character. This is just a swath of those stories, but in your own backyard. For you. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. So everyone make sure you tune in to hear that episode. I think check out our Instagram where um, we have a May schedule up so you can see what we're going to be releasing every week. Mm-hmm. And until then, we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. Please start that again because I just hope. The gingerbread man sat on his nuts. Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man! The one who lives on Drury Lane? Yes! Oh, ow, that was so loud. Well, she's married to the Muffin Man. The Muffin Man? It's the Muffin Man! <laughs>